The president doesn't answer to you, Lewis. Oh, yes, he does, A.J. I'm a citizen. This is my president. And in this country, it is not only permissible to question our leaders, it's our responsibility. But you already know that, don't you, Mr. President? Because you have a deeper love of this country than any man I've ever known. And I want to know what it says to you that in the past seven weeks, 59% of Americans have begun to question your patriotism. Look, if people want to listen to They don't this have a choice! Bob Rumson is the only one doing the talking. People want leadership, Mr. President. In the absence of genuine leadership, they'll listen to anyone who steps up to the microphone. They want leadership. They're so thirsty for it, they'll crawl through the desert toward a mirage, and when they discover there's no water, they'll drink the sand. Lewis, we have had presidents who were beloved, who couldn't find a coherent sentence with two hands and a flashlight. People don't drink the sand because they're thirsty. They drink the sand because they don't know the difference. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. Happy uh, 21st anniversary of 9-11. I'm using this weekend to 
go back and have everybody think about that. In the second half this week, I'm going to be uh, doing my 9-11 tribute show, which if you haven't heard it, um, don't miss part two of the main event today. And uh, I think it'll bring you back to the days of, of 2001 and make you feel patriotic and uh, maybe bring some tears to your eyes. And uh, it's one of the one of the the best shows I think we've we've done, and uh, that will be the whole entire second half of this of this uh, of show of this show. The uh, I opened up with that scene from the American President. You know what? It's it's our duty to question our presidents, and if in the absence of in the absence of leadership, the American people will listen to anyone who steps up to the mic. And while uh, while Biden isn't capable of of standing in front of a bunch of reporters and actually answering questions off the cuff without having them uh, prearranged. Uh, he's got all his, all his minions out there who are capable of, uh, of completing a complete sentence, um, putting, putting out the, the message out there. And uh, it's just, it's just, uh, it's ugly. And we're uh, 60 days from the, the election when all of us Republicans have to get off our butts and make sure we vote and we need to encourage all of our friends to vote and we need to encourage all of our friends and family members to take a take a look at beyond the d or the r and and say hey what is our state coming coming to what is our state turning into what is our country turning into at the leadership of democrats and incompetence in leadership and don't say, hey, well, you know, the Republicans want to take a, away a, a woman's right to abortion or the or the Republicans want this or Republicans want that. Look at what the Democrats are doing. And at all costs, vote the R. And if you haven't had and if you haven't had a chance to uh, to look into the local candidates and actually hear them speak because you actually have to make an effort to do that, then just vote the R. We need to we need to get. The Republicans back in control of the of the Congress. We need to get the Republicans back in control of the Senate, and two years later we'll put a we'll put a we'll we'll put a Republican back in uh, back in the White House, and we need to have all the all the down ballots there to support our leadership, and we need to get the Democrats out of power, or else our country's done, and if it's not done already. Uh, that song was Aaron Lewis. Am I the only one? And I think it speaks for itself and why I used it. You know, it's, it's sad 21 years after nine 11 that everybody seems to have forgotten it. And, uh, it's turning into just another day. Like Pearl Harbor was, is just another Pearl Harbor day. Uh, December 7th is just another day. And people are so removed from it. If you haven't visited Pearl Harbor and if you haven't visited, uh, ground zero in New York city, um, maybe it doesn't mean as much to you, but it should, and you should go visit those, those places and you should, uh, feel the feelings that you, that you feel when you're there. And, uh, but we'll, we'll, uh, get into the, the ground zero part in part two. And, uh, and I know that, I know that as you listen to it, you'll be feeling the feelings that you should feel every day. But anyway, uh, in the first half, I'm going to talk about stuff that's going on in this country and my opinion of it. 
But before I do, let me introduce myself. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ed Hoffman, Branch Manager, Planet Home Lending. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate, and if you've been looking for a house and trying to get a, 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 a an offer on a house in, uh, whether that's in California or any other state, the market has softened up significantly in the last 60 days. I know people that just gave up because sellers were so greedy and you couldn't, you, and, and, the, and the buyers were uh, so into the fear of missing out that they, that they were bidding way over. I had, I had one guy did, uh, bid $250,000 over, over, li- over the list price of a house in, uh, in Orange County, and he still lost out to somebody else. It's, uh, it, it's, it's beyond crazy, but the market has changed significantly. So if you, uh, if you're interested in buying something, now's the time to, to get back in and take a look at that. Um, list prices, list prices are, are easing up and people are actually getting a, a lower than list price offers accepted. So, um, uh, so if you're interested in that, give me a call. If you need a uh, financing, 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, dear night, toll free, area code 855-640-2020. Uh, if you want to talk, if you want to get some information, but you're not ready to talk on the phone just yet, go to edhoffman.net. Uh, click on the Planet Home Lending logo. That'll take you to my lending page. You can uh, input, you can uh, put in how much information you want me to have and tell me how much information you want back. You'll hear back from myself or one of my talented teammates who will help you find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle. Um, if there's any part of the show that you want repeated, stay on edhoffman.net, click on the podcast page. You can hear this show as well as several past shows and uh, listen to it on demand. You can also get the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes where you can uh, iTunes slash Apple podcast. Some of us old school guys still call it iTunes, um, but the uh, you can uh, subscribe for free and have it download automatically. Uh, I record on Friday mornings and uh, it uploads Friday afternoon and it'll download to your, to your device, your, your phone or your computer or whatever you listen to podcasts on shortly thereafter. Um, this week I'm, uh, oh, also, if you have comments on the show, send them to, to me at ed, ed at edhoffman.net, ed at edhoffman.net, E-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N. Um, and I'm interested in, in your comments, especially on the, especially on the second half. Um, I'll, I'll give you that number. I'll give you that address again at the end of the second half. Want to hear your comments on that as well. So let's talk about Biden's revenge. Joe Biden seemed to be, seems to be growing angrier every week with his proclamation of ultra mega Republicans getting more elaborate with every public appearance. That anger was on full display Monday as he came up with yet another name for the ultra mega crowd, Trumpies. Did you know that our Trumpy allies in Congress want to take our Social Security? They want to take our Social Security away? And either did I. Uh, but that's what the President of the United States told a pro-union audience in Milwaukee on Labor Day. Not every Republican is a MAGA Republican. Not every Republican embraces that extreme ideology. I know because I've been able to work with mainstream Republicans my whole career. But the extreme MAGA Republicans in Congress have chosen to go backwards, full of anger, violence, hate, and division. The biggest contrast from what MAGA Republicans, the extreme right, the, 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 the Trumpies, they want to go to Congress. These MAGA Republicans in Congress are coming for your Social Security as well. Now, you, by the way, as I said, you might think I'm making this, some of this stuff up. It's so outrageous. 
Yeah, I would. Uh, I, yes, it is outrageous, and yes, he is making it up. Remember, remember the baby boomers, which are the largest chunk of uh, voters right now. I would think um, we're all at retirement age, so it means that the the lion's share of them are getting Social Security. You know, and if the Republicans uh, were to cut off Social Security, you know, they want to do do things for your against your Social Security. I think that would be a problem, and I don't think the I don't think. Uh, anybody's in favor of that of course it's dramatic for so many people that live on that now in their retirement years that the democrats will say anything they will lie through their teeth they'll say anything that doesn't even make sense and so many of our our uh, misinformed and low low information voters just buy into that stuff and it's all bs and you know and i thought liberals don't like it when presidents use fear-mongering to call pe- and call people names uh, apparently that that's uh, only unless it fits their their uh, their agenda. And right now they know they know they're going to get trounced. They know they're going to get obliterated in uh, November, and they're trying to just pretend that it's not. You hear here's some of the polls. Some of the polls say that that uh, Biden's uh, approval rating has has come up into the 40s, and I just don't buy it. I think uh, I think the Democrats are buying off some of these uh, uh, pollsters. And they're making it look better than it is, just specifically so they can, uh, just specifically so they can uh, uh, turn the turn the the thought process. You know, the Democrats aren't aren't pumped up about going to the polls because there's nothing excites them about uh, what they're voting for. And maybe if they think, hey, we have a chance to turn off the red wave, that they can do that, that they can, then it's worth their voting. And uh, I just don't, I just don't buy it. Uh, then on Tuesday, Biden convened his full cabinet for a meeting on the economy, asking them to submit proposals to help him build a forward-looking economy that works. Say it with me, from the bottom up and the middle out. Does he ever come up with anything new? Which gave him an opportunity to pull out this little gem. As I said from the beginning, I'm not a big fan of trickle-down economics. Uh, I find is the, the trickle stops fairly uh, quickly coming down. Yeah, the trickle stops fairly quickly coming down. That's such BS. Let's see. You know, trickle-down economics is when, is when uh, the government gets out of the way. Let the rich, the rich people that own these corporations, let them have some of their tax money back. Let them have their money to expand their businesses and create jobs because that's where jobs come from. Regardless of what Democrat tells you otherwise, that's where jobs come from. So if you noticed when... Trump was in office, that everybody was working. Companies were expanding. Oh, yeah, we only heard about Amazon didn't pay any taxes because Amazon had all these tax breaks, and they expanded, and they put up warehouses everywhere. So when you buy things on Amazon, they get there in a couple of hours instead of a couple of weeks. And uh, they bought bought all these energy-efficient, battery-operated vans that come up and down your street to deliver your packages. And... They invested in, in places all over the country, and they got to write those off the first year. But that expanded. They, they put thousands and thousands and thousands, maybe millions of people. I don't know how many people Amazon employs. But, uh, but them and many other big companies created jobs and employment for so many people, and that expands the tax base. So if you have a lot, a lot of people paying a little bit, nobody has to pay a lot. And, of course, if we went to a consumption tax, nobody would pay zero. That's trickle down. Start it. Let the government 
make making it create an environment for people to for companies to create an economy and let it trickle down to everybody. You know, everybody, the people in the middle get raises and promotions and the people at the bottom get jobs and they get promotions. Reminds me of another rich Democrat who thought targeting trickle down economics was a winning strategy. Don't let anybody, don't let anybody tell you that, um, you know, it's corporations and businesses that create jobs. You know, that old theory, trickle down economics. That has been tried. That has failed. It has failed rather spectacularly. Yeah, Hillary will just say just about anything. Don't let anybody tell you that that corporations and companies create jobs. Well, where do jobs come from? You know, there's there's so many people that buy that BS and just listen to her and say, oh, Okay, I thought companies did create jobs. I work for a company, but Hillary said it didn't. So I guess I guess I was wrong. Meanwhile, there's another new book of uh, about the Obama Biden administration that, and surprise, surprise, it reveals that those two were not always the best of friends. Shocking, I know. It's called The Long Alliance: The Perfect Union of Joe Biden and Barack Obama by New York Magazine writer Gabriel Debonetti. The book says Obama's first impression of Joe was that he was condescending, and that he tended to ramble, clearly loving every minute of it. That first impression was three years before Obama was elected, when he saw Biden speak at Condoleezza Rice's confirmation hearings for Secretary of State in 2005. At the hearing, Obama was so bored by Biden's remarks that he handed an aide a note that said, shoot me now. He told advisor David Axelrod, Biden could talk and talk and talk, an incredible thing to watch. Meanwhile, Biden rolled his eyes behind Obama's back at his aloofness. Biden once told Obama he'd take him to dinner at a nothing fancy restaurant, and Obama said, we can go somewhere nice, I can afford it. And of course, that was in uh, 2004, when they were both senators, and apparently the... uh, Apparently, you know, uh, Biden was the lowest, the lowest net worth of any senator in the Senate. And even Obama, the, the, the community organizer, apparently had been in the Senate long enough to have uh, gotten enough money out of uh, people trying to buy him that he could afford the nice restaurant. But Obama knows when he's needed. So on Wednesday, when he returned to the White House for the unveiling of his presidential portrait, it was the perfect opportunity for him to intervene on Biden's behalf. Someone once said that... If you're looking for a friend in Washington, get a dog. (laughs) Our family was lucky enough to have two wonderful dogs. (laughs) But I was even luckier to have a chance to spend eight years working day and night with a man who became a true partner and a true friend. Joe, it is now America's good fortune to have you as president. You guided us. It's amazing how people will just lie through their teeth if it fits the narrative of the day. And what's amazing also is, is, hey, I don't like you, but I'm going to make you my vice president. And, uh, you know, it's it's regardless, you know, uh, Obama was kind of set back by Biden's comment about, hey, he's so clean and articulate. He's a he's a clean and articulate uh, black guy. And uh, and everybody thought that was kind of talking down to him. And he chose him as his vice president. And then Biden 
being the pillar of pillar of ethics and uh, and uh, character that he is, you know, after uh, after Kamala Harris uh, did the uh, the racist called him a racist on this on the debate stage uh, for being against busing, um, then she became his vice president because it's not it's not about who you think will back you up. It's not about who you think will be the best the best in your place if you have to leave the office. It's just about it's just about what's going to help you win. So I think about a, a an event that the radio station did, and and I kind of I was kind of interested in the subject matter, but Juan Williams was was speaking at it, and I said, hey, I'm not supporting that. Juan Williams is a is a flaming Democrat, and I'm just not going to support it. And even though I support most everything that the that the uh, radio station does, that I think they're in the right place philosophically um that um i support i support the conservative movement and i just didn't support that because i don't support juan williams so i took a stand and said hey i'm not support i'm not sponsoring this one so anyway let's let's go on let's go on uh california power crisis it's been two weeks since california air resources board the state's clean air agency established in 1967 by then governor ronald reagan voted to approve the advanced clean cars rule too designed to support Gavin Newsom's 2020 executive order that will ban the sale of new gasoline-fueled uh, gasoline cars by 2035. The rule has a roadmap that includes short-term targets like 35% of new vehicles must be hybrid or fully powered by battery or fuel cells by 2026. Then just four years later, 68% of new vehicles must be hybrid by 2030. Manufacturers who fail to meet these targets will have to buy credits from other manufacturers who have surpassed them or face $20,000 fine for every vehicle they fail to produce. Of course, the regulators on this board feel great about what they're doing. When PBS asked them to comment on their historic vote, here's what some of them said. As I was voting, I said, this is perhaps the most important action I have taken in my life. I just really want to thank all the hard work that went into building this package and putting together something that is world-changing. And the other comment was, we are transforming the automobile industries that ways in ways that we haven't done since the Model T and Henry Ford. Of course, we're turning it backwards. We're turning it backwards. And, you know, I don't know how uh, how saying no more gas fueled cars is that groundbreaking as what Henry Ford did with the uh, with the production line. Those of us who are buying property outside California can escape for a little bit, but even as we speak, the federal government is hoping to take California's insane policies nationwide. Here's Biden's energy secretary, Jennifer Granholm. I love the fact that California is unabashedly bold about about energy policy. The leader leading indicator for the rest of the country, California's boldness has, I think, shaped our willingness in the federal government to move further and faster. Just goes to show how incompetent our our uh, our Biden administration cabinet members are unabashedly bold should she look at what they do they see what's happening happening in california instead of getting excited about them being bold why not watch what it what it does for the people and then uh, first before you think about moving it forward to, to all the other states while californians are grappling with the news that it will eventually be illegal to buy an affordable car in this state we've been plagued by a heat wave reaching 110 degrees in parts of la county and 115 degrees in parts of the inland empire this prompted the governor's Office of Emergency Management to issue an emergent energy emergency alert three, 
indicating that rotating blackouts might happen to protect the energy grid. On Tuesday, our tone-deaf governor put on a fleece jacket in a room where the AC was clearly cranking, otherwise he would have taken his jacket off, and give us this dire warning of the consequences if we dare run our air conditioning. Everyone has to do their part to help step up for just a few more days. When the early morning hours, particularly tomorrow and the next day or so, pre-cool your home. Run your air conditioning earlier in the day when more power is available. Close your windows and blinds to keep your home cool as well. And today and tomorrow afternoon after 4 p.m., in particular 4 p.m., please turn your thermostat up to 78 degrees or higher. So just when you get home from, home from work or school, Turn your, turn, turn your thermostat up when it needs to be down so you could be cool while you're in the house. Uh, I lowered my thermostats just to spite them because I'm not letting them tell me what to do. So anyway, I'm all out of time for this uh, half day of the main event. So stay tuned for five minutes, traffic, weather, sports, and commercials. And the second half will be my 9-11 tribute. I think we're going to have to remember it, September 11, in its reality much the same way as we have to remember other horrific events in our history. Because somehow I think it pushes the human consciousness toward finding ways to avoid this in the future. But if you, um, if you, if you censor it too much, if you try to find too many euphemisms for what happened, then I think you rob people of the ability to actually relive it and therefore motivate them to prevent it from happening in the future. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the September 11th edition of the main event. This week, in honor of September 11th, I put together a tribute to September 11th, consisting of some clips from uh, documentaries, interviews, uh, speeches, as well as uh, some movie clips and some music, too, to commemorate the day that changed our country, changed our world, and for many of us, changed our lives. Uh, I, lost a, I lost a high school friend on Flight 77 that hit the Pentagon that day, and uh, my wife and I have visited ground zero, ground zero several times since 2001. So you can bet that we will never forget the impact that the attacks of that day had on our lives and our world, and I hope that you won't either. Uh, this project took a lot of time and effort to put together, so I hope you enjoy listening to it and find it moving and inspirational as I did in the process of creating it. Um, email me your comments at ed at edhoffman.net. Ed at edhoffman.net, E-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N. I'm interested in, in what you think. Enjoy. On a perfect, almost achingly beautiful late summer morning in early September 2001, a day of seemingly infinite visibility, one man later said, characterized by the rare and exquisite flying conditions airline pilots call severe clear. Life in New York and much of the rest of the contemporary world was changed irrevocably in the space of less than two hours. September 11, 2001 was the worst day in the history of the city. Everyone in the city should remain calm. The very best thing to do right now would be to remain home. I could see from the very beginning with the number of casualties and the tremendous damage that was done. And even the thought that we'd probably be attacked again during that period of time that this was, this was going to be really, really difficult. 
I'd ask the people of New York City to do everything that they can to cooperate, not to be frightened, to go about their lives as normal. Everything is safe right now in the city. And the people who are doing the relief effort need all the help they can get. At 9.02 a.m., little more than 15 minutes after the attack, millions of people in the metropolitan region and tens of millions more across the country and around the world were staring intently at the smoldering skyline of Lower Manhattan when a dark shape appeared on the horizon above the New Jersey lowlands and came hurtling across the upper bay. And then all of a sudden, I saw a big explosion of fire. And at that point, we all concluded, obviously, it was, it was, a, ter it was a terrorist attack. I think that was the first point at which I realized that we were into something different than any, any of us had ever prepared for, or any of us had ever thought we would live through. I realized I was in some kind of a horrible, awful, horrific human experience. I hear people say, we don't need this war. But I say there's some things worth fighting for. What about our freedom and this piece of ground? We didn't get to keep them by backing down. They say we don't realize the mess we're getting in. Before you start your preaching, let me ask you this, my friend. Have you forgotten how it felt that day to see your homeland under fire and her people blown away? Have you forgotten when those towers fell, we had neighbors still inside? The resolve of our great nation is being tested, but make no mistake, we will show the world that we will pass this test. God bless. I don't know if you guys know it yet, this country's at war. Listen, I'm not, I'm not taking any more chances. We got stuff flying around we have no control over. And I don't want to board full of these planes hitting every building on the East Coast. This is a national emergency. Everyone lands regardless of destination. That's going to cost billions. Just do it. We have hundreds of international flights coming in. They're already in the air. No, no I, don't, I don't want any more international flights crossing the borders. They're going to have to go back where they came from. Nobody's coming into the country from now on. Everyone? Everyone. Shut off the East Coast. Shut off all the international from Europe. Shut off South America. Shut off the West Coast. Nothing over the top either. Canada? Yeah, Canada too. Can shut down the airspace? I can't accept anybody. Nobody takes off. Land them all. Take a moment. Think about this. We're going to put. We're going to shut down the entire country right now. That's right. Listen, we're at war with someone, and until we figure out what to do about it, we're shutting down. That's it. We're finished. This was an attack intended to destroy us, because we are a country that's built on principles of freedom and because of free will people get a chance to distinguish themselves this wonderful american civilization emerges which isn't based on any ethnic group it isn't based on any one race it isn't based on any one religion it's based on people believing in freedom we heard things hitting the sidewalk and i thought it was debris and i think we all thought it was debris and the windows on the west side of the building had already been blown out so as i walked towards those windows I realized it wasn't the breed. These were people, people who were so desperate that they had jumped from whatever stories and they were landing. And it was a, a constant, the shrill of the pop as they hit the ground. And 
think about people so desperate that they would they would choose that that way to die, and they had to know they're going to die. There's no way of of surviving, and that that image will never leave. A mother described to me talking to her son on the telephone when the second plane hit, and that's the last time she talked to him. Another family described to me how their loved one had let two elevators go because he was older, and the people in the elevator were younger. And somehow my, my, my mind went back to the stories and the things you read about the Titanic or you know, people who allowed other people to get on, get on boats and they didn't get on the boat because they were older. And from that moment on, I started thinking that we'll never know all the heroes. We know our uniform people were heroes. They went there and they died and they gave up their lives bravely trying to save the lives of other people. But what we don't know are all the individual stories of the person who gave up the elevator for another person, the person who calmed someone and got them out of the building, the person who organized their flaw so that everybody could evacuate, the person who maybe at the last, in the last moments comforted people when all of them knew they were going to die. We've got over 300 firefighters that are missing that uh, we can't account for. We believe that many of, uh, many of them are, uh, are, uh, are gone. We don't, um, we'll keep looking. Uh, we have hundreds of people over there now trying to find as many possible locations that they might be in, in some way, in a void or whatever, and, um, you know, still be able to breathe and, and still alive. But we believe that uh, most of these people, I think, are, are gonna be uh, un unable to, to pull out. Pastor, I gotta go down there. Where? New York. You can't. Only emergency responders are being allowed in. I spent my best years with the Marines. God gave me a gift to be able to help people to defend our country. I feel him calling on me now for this mission. Then find a way to listen, Dave. And I started thinking about the people that might be trapped. Are there people trapped? If they are trapped, can they survive? And I remember thinking, this, I, this is like being in hell. Today is uh, obviously one of the most difficult days in the history of the city and the country. The tragedy that uh, we're all undergoing right now is something that we've had nightmares about, but probably thought wouldn't happen. My heart goes out to all of the innocent victims of this horrible and vicious act of terrorism, acts of terrorism. And our focus now has to be on saving as many lives as possible. What's the status here? Search has been called off. This whole thing is crap, man. Our guys are in there. They're dying in there. Looks like God made a curtain with the smoke, shielding us from what we're not yet ready to see. Do we know the number of casualties at this point, sir? I don't, I don't think we, we really want to speculate about that. The number of casualties will be more than any, any of us can bear, ultimately. And I don't think we want to speculate on the number of casualties. The effort now has to be to save as many people as possible. United States Marines, if anyone can hear me, yell or tap. Some of the information was too brutal. I think I said that day that I don't think people could handle the full implications. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me that best husband 
was Terry Haddon, who was, the, who was the captain of Rescue One. And I looked over and I said to her, Is, was Terry working today? And she said, yes. And his tears came down her eyes. She looked at me and she said, he's dead. And I got angry. I said, you don't know that, Beth. You don't know that. And she said, yeah, I know that. I felt it, and I know that. I was standing on the steps of City Hall. We all looked up, and I knew that Terry would have been one of, on one of the, the highest floor that he could get to in that building, because that's just what his company does. And when I saw the building come down, I knew that he had no chance. His friend Tim told me that he saw Terry going in, and Terry said to him, we may not be seeing each other again, and kissed him on the cheek and ran up the stairs. We lost all those firemen. We lost police. We had this fantastic contradiction of people who hated you so much that they were willing to give up their life to take yours and people who loved humanity so much that they were willing to run into the Don building in the smoke and flame and just to save the life of somebody they never met. And that ineffably beautiful. There's no better definition of love. There's no, there's no more inspirational, no more inspiring, no more near to saintly conduct that you can think of than what they demonstrated. We, everybody should in their own way say, say a prayer ask God for help and for assistance and uh, and also ask God to give us the strength to overcome this because I know we're, we're going to need strength to overcome it and I want the people of New York to be an example to the rest of the country and the rest of the world that terrorism can't stop us. American democracy is much stronger than uh, vicious cowardly terrorists and we're going to overcome it. If you can hear me yell or tap, we hear you. Ah! Keep yelling. And 13! Bad BD down! Gotcha! Hang on, hang on, okay? Don't leave us with me here a long time! We're not leaving you, buddy. We're Marines. You are our mission. <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's great. It took all the footage off my TV. Said it's too disturbing for you and me. It'll just breed anger That's what the experts say If it was up to me, I'd show it every day Some say this country's just out of looking for a fight Well, after 9-11, man, I'd have to say that's right Have you forgotten how it felt that day? is on bended knee in prayer for the people whose lives were lost here 
for the workers who work here, for the families who mourn. This nation stands with the good people of New York City and New Jersey and Connecticut as we mourn the loss of thousands of our citizens. I can hear you. I can hear you, the rest of the world hears you, and the people and the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. Chase Stadium served as a staging area for rescue supplies. And the New York Mets baseball team, overlooking its exalted status, banded together with other volunteers. We got a, we got a box of t-shirts here. People came in from Wall Street who had walked home and two days later, you know, I need to do something, I have to help, what can I do? I had that same feeling that, that so many uh, other Americans had, of just to, I needed to do something. The Yankees, too, pitched in. Following the team's first post-9-11 gathering, manager Joe Torrey led a group of players on a goodwill trip downtown. We went to the armory, which was the most emotional, and we didn't really know if we should be there. This is where families were all gathered to wait on word if their loved ones were alive. weren't alive, uh, evidence that they weren't alive, so they were doing DNA samplings. I, I remember one very poignant moment when Bernie Williams went up to this woman, and he was sort of fumbling, and he, and he says, I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. He says, but you look like you need a hug. And he put his arms around her, and I, and I think sort of broke the ice to see that, you know, these people needed this. And I think at that point in time, I realized that there was a role for us. But I'll never forget where I was, and I'll never forget that day. And I remember taking a bus home at night at about 11.30 at Amsterdam on 116th Street. And how quiet the street was. There was an eerie silence, like nothing I'd seen in more than 30 years of working there. And then I remember when the bus came that there was a sign around the little box there that said, no fare today. And I remember sitting on the bus, and sitting opposite a young woman who was just crying. And I remember when I got off the bus at 83rd Street, she was still crying. I remember just putting my hand on her shoulder. And I said nothing, and she said nothing, and I got off. But I'll always remember that woman. We have to cry, and we have to mourn and we have to feel terrible and awful. And on the way over here, I cried in my van because I had to go to the morgue to identify some. But I, the tears have to make you stronger. Every time you cry, you have to remember that we're right and they're wrong. In the aftermath of September 11th, the mood of the country changed. Baseball games became communal gathering places for fans to express their emotions. And as much of the country turned a sympathetic eye to New York, the Red Sox ask you to join us 
in a tribute to the spirit of the people of New York. The city's baseball teams became the objects of affection. I could not, under any circumstances, ever imagine cheering for the Yankees. But I think America's sense of New York changed in September 11th and, and the days afterwards. The face of New York changed. It was 343 New York firefighters who walked into the fires of hell to save strangers. And it becomes very difficult to hate the Yankees. Another reason for the heightened security was the appearance of a guest from Washington. All of a sudden, there was a knock at the door, and President Bush walked into our room. Well, when you're president, all you have to do is say you're showing up and they kind of ask you to throw out the first pitch no matter what time of year it is. So I go underneath the Yankee Stadium in the bowels of Yankee Stadium and there's a hitting cage there. And he's wearing his bulletproof jacket and he's getting his arm loose and Derek Jeter comes up to him. So I just asked him if he was going to be throwing the first pitch from the mound or in front of the mound. The president said, I felt, think I'll throw from the base of the mound. Jeter said, I wouldn't do that if I were you, Mr. President. And I told him, uh, you better throw it from the mound, otherwise you're going to get booed. I said, this, this is Yankee Stadium. I said, OK, I'll throw from the mound. And he's walking out, and he looks over his shoulder, and he says, don't bounce it. They'll boo you. All of a sudden, the pressure mounted. The President of the United States. I'd never felt what I'd felt before when I walked out of that dugout. I felt the raw emotion of the Yankee fans. USA! 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 The crowd just erupts in a chant of USA. There is nothing like it that I've ever experienced at a ballgame. It, it was overwhelming. It was just overwhelming. President Bush is standing out there like a brick wall. I'm not afraid of terrorists. I'm going to stand all out here. I'm going to give you a thumbs up, and I'm going to throw a strike. I didn't vote for him, but at that point, my personal feelings about him as a politician is gone. I watched him, and he was my representative, and I had never felt that way before. Very nice throw, Mr. President. Good stuff, good stuff. At that moment, everybody there was there for baseball and to show the world that in spite of what can happen to us, We'll pull ourselves together, and what is our life and our way of life will continue. United we stand. We stand together in the face of this threat. We will play baseball in the midst of the, the beginnings of this war. No matter what the threat may be to us, the United States of America will stand strong and will never be intimidated. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? 
one of the tricks in life is to convert everything into good. You're a sculptor and you have a stone and the stone has a scar in it. And well, so now you have to sculpt around that scar and you've got to use that scar to, to make it part of whatever it is you're going to produce that's beautiful. And um, work with what you have, play it as it lies. You know? So whatever the circumstance, you know, use it for good purpose. 9-11, how can you possibly use it for good purpose? You think about it. You think, as uh, we've suggested before, you think about, look, what this reminds you of is the importance of your own life and making the most of it, because you, you can lose it in a flash. And if that's all you learned from 9-11, if that's all you remembered, that, my God, you could extinguish life so suddenly, so unexpectedly, and it could happen to me, and therefore, I should think harder about the way I spend my life instead of just wasting it. Now, it's not going to teach you what to do with your life, but it will teach you to do with your life. Thanks for listening to the September 11th edition of the main event. Email me your comments at ed at edhoffman.net. That's E-D at E-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N dot net. My name is Ed Hoffman, and I'll be back with my regular show for you next week. God bless America. Red!